0: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
2: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board.
1: This is Uncanny USA.
2: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
1: (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm John Hamm, and welcome to Next Question.
0: Hey, that's my line. I'm Kitty Couric, and yes, welcome to Next Question. We might as well just dive right into my conversation with the star of the new comedy Confess Fletch, the one and only John
2: Hamm. Hello. Hello, John. I'm
0: so happy to see you. It's so
2: nice to see you. It's been a minute. As I know they say. it has
0: been a minute, and you have been everywhere. You've been uh, you've been hawking the shit out of this movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's we we it's a it's a labor of love. We uh we we put a lot of time and sweat equity in, into making it, and um, we're very very proud of it. And it's you know it's the little engine that could. You know it's 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 in theaters and on, on streaming as as we speak, and uh, people are really enjoying it. The, Isn't that the rotten great? tomatoes are are all fresh and. Uh, <laughs> And, <laughs> the uh, audience, yeah, whatever and it's you all know, good. So you know, I, we were very pleased because obviously, you know, when you, when you take on a, a, a character, or a franchise, or a film that sort of holds its place in the pantheon of, especially for people my age, you know, as a, as a, uh, as of one of their favorite movies, you know, you don't yeah. what, you, what you don't want to do. You, there's two things you don't want to do. One, you don't want to ruin it. But two, you also don't want to. Do some sort of pale imitation of it. So, right. you, you, I never really wanted to do a Chevy Chase impersonation in this film, and we, Greg Matola and uh, myself, uh, really kind of worked uh, hard to try to figure out what's what's our version of this. And we, all we really did was take it back to the books, and we just decided, like, why don't we just make a pretty faithful adaptation of of the novels because they're really excellent kind of mystery novels and. Feel like the mystery is having a moment at this at, at this time with uh, with the success of things like Knives Out and uh, Only Murders in the Building, and right. Death on the Nile and what have you. It's like there's there's I think people are finding that those kinds of stories are tremendously satisfying.
0: Were you a big fan of the original? Because I have to be honest, I. I I love Chevy Chase, but somehow you missed it. I did. Okay, John, I missed it. Oh, it
2: was it was it was a huge presence in my life. The it first was? film, yes, everything about it so quotable. Chevy is so funny and so particular and so um, Chevy. It's unimpeachably good. I think. Oh, it's me, Doctor Rosenpenis. I'm just here to check Dr. out Rose. Danwick's file. Dr. Rosen-Rosen, I'm here to get to the records again. room. It's Dr. Rosen. I, I, uh, I want to check Doctor the records who? room. Dr. Rosen. We also didn't want to get into a nostalgia you know, situation where right. you know, Chevy's in it and I play his son or some <laughs> yeah. weird thing. You know, we just decided to kind of truly reboot it and, and take it in a different direction. See, this is my theory. I think the victim interrupted an art theft. The thief got spooked, bonked her over the head, and then ran. No amateur sleuth in- Please. Listen, I used to be an investigative reporter of some repute. I could be very helpful in this whole matter. I used to play the trumpet in high school. I never offered advice to Miles Davis. Shut up and talk. It's a very confusing combination of commands.
0: So you went back to the books, which how many are there?
2: There's something like 10 or 11 Fletch books, and then there's a spinoff a character called Flynn, who, who is actually in the book Confess Fletch, but for rights reasons, we were not allowed to use that character or that name. So we kind of spun him off into the character played by Roy Wood.
0: I know Ryan Reynolds tried to do this. Dave Chappelle tried to do it. I mean, this has been something that people have tried to do for a long time. So why why you Why you here? why now why me <laughs> yeah. um you
2: know I think I think part of it is what what I was saying it's really hard to, to tackle something that exists so prevalent in in the minds of, of people from my generation really uh and the, and and we were just fortunate enough or dumb enough to to really kind of land on this idea of like well we don't have to do the slapstick joke a minute wigs and teeth and funny names and funny voices version of this we can actually just take it take it back to the original stories and and we got the blessings of gregory mcdonald and his estate uh for, was that hard to do it was not easy and they, they you know they're they're rightfully so very protective of gregory's work and um I got you know, I got a lovely note from his son uh, after he saw the film and he just said, you know, my dad would have been so proud. It was Aww. it was really great and you really captured the spirit of the book.
0: Well it was a lot of fun to watch and I guess Greg Matolo, is that right? Yes. Matola or Matolo? Yeah, Matola. Yeah. Um I don't know much about him but I could envision a lot of behind the scenes laughs yeah. and camaraderie. So what was it like to make it with with first of all I love John Slatter, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, well
2: John is his own case. So you know we we have a history that's that people can recognize obviously but uh, Greg and I actually have this is my third project I've done with Greg. I worked on a movie with Larry David, and he called uh, Clear History, and then we did Keeping Up with the Joneses with Zach right. Galifianakis and Gal Gadot, and, uh, and this is the third one, and you know, this is the third time I've shot in Boston as well. So it was a tremendous uh, amount of fun to make the movie. That's always a plus when you're making a comedy, if you're actually having fun doing it, which also for me and Greg, uh, as, as producers on it as well, there's a ton of other things you have to worry about. Right. But, but once we got shooting and once we got it rolling, it was it was fun. And, um, and that's, uh, that's what you're kind of going for is, uh, is, is that shorthand of, of having, having a good time. And Greg had worked with Marsha Gay before, and I had obviously worked with Slattery before. And I think both of us knew Kyle McLachlan, and, and, uh, and then we were lucky enough to get people like Eugene Merman and Roy Wood and, uh, Aiden Meyery, people that are just fun and funny on their own. And I had
0: a, I, I imagined you all had a hard time kind of at times. Especially, is it Roy uh, keeping a straight face during some of these scenes?
2: Roy, it was always funny, to, fun for me to make Roy break because he's so serious and he's a wildly funny man. But, but in this character, he was so serious and he believably the, so. He plays the, the, the detective that's out to try to solve the case. Uh, and it looks like uh, my, the character I play, Fletch, is, uh, has, is guilty. So right. it's, that's the fun of that.
0: And I think his sidekick is so funny yeah, too, Aiden right? Yeah, Aiden
2: Leary plays uh, his sidekick who's sort of the like young... Like the,
0: the, yeah, trainee or trainee something, right? Trainee deal.
2: And she's very funny. We were we were lucky to get her. Uh, but yeah, we had uh, Annie Mumolo, who I worked with on Bridesmaids, uh, came along and does a very funny small part. So we just, we had, a, we were really lucky to get the people we got and we had a blast making it.
0: I think of you and your quote-unquote body of work. Let's <laughs> see how James Lipton-y I can get. But, you know... Obviously, Mad Men. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But you are a very talented comedic actor, and you love comedy. I thought you were so funny in Thirty Rock. But tell me about sort of your preference. Do you enjoy doing funny better?
2: Well, I'll I'll say this about that. You know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have uh, credibility on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. So I have, uh, you know, uh, been been given the incredible good fortune to to have done work with some really talented people on the dramatic side as well as the comedic side and part of that was getting famous doing such a serious um, you know sort of brooding kind of dramatic work as Don Draper that I could then pivot off of that and instead of choosing the things that were offered to me off of that, which were basically versions of the same thing, to actually be able to pivot and say, "You know, I'd actually like maybe do something a little goofier and funnier. and And then once people were able to see me in that world too, then i I could I could really kind of ping pong back between both sides.
0: Did you worry? And this is such a cliche question, but I do wonder, and I have asked other actors who've really established such an iconic presence and a role that, that it would be hard to break out of of the Don Draper mold after that show was over.
2: You know, I think I I think I recognized that kind of possibility, and actively sought uh, to to play things against that that stereotype. Honestly, uh, that's why. You know, if if I would have done you know, another role where I played kind of super serious and period or what have you, I think I would have been lost any credibility in, in, in the comedic world, which as you, as you rightfully point out, as I'm a fan of it. And most of my friends are in that world. And you would and, love
0: it. And yeah. I like
2: doing it. So, yeah. so it was definitely a conscious decision to make sure that I wasn't, uh, locked in to, to doing that.
0: You know, I think the fact that You really struggled. I mean, the struggling artist moniker actually really fit for you because it took you a long time to get noticed and to start having things click for you. You went to the University of Missouri, Mm -hmm. right? Then you started out, you went back to your old high school and taught, which to me is like a series in and of itself. Yeah. John Hamm yeah. teaches what? What did you teach? I
2: taught acting and public speaking and improv. So I taught the, the entire eighth grade, and then ninth <laughs> through eleventh grade uh, were elective uh, did, courses. Did you have
0: fun doing that? I had
2: a blast, and I mostly I went back because I, I recognized that that school had done so much for me and, and served in in, uh, in keeping me engaged and keeping me um, on a achievement oriented path and. And it kept me, you know, sane, basically, in a, in a time when my my life could have very easily gone uh, in several different directions, and and provided me with the the artistic input and the and the and the spark that I uh, on in many places, w- whether it was athletics or or the theater or or academics, it was all it was all you were encouraged to to succeed and to achieve at all of those things, and I just found that to be a really healthy and wonderful place to be so I really wanted to kind of have that experience for another generation and I was fortunate enough to to really be able to do it Ellie Kemper being the most visible of, of my former students but uh, but I have quite a few of them that I'm that I'm tremendously proud of
0: and so you went from teaching at your alma mater and then you you took off for Hollywood mm-hmm. and um, it w- it was a slog right John
2: yeah you know it's 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 a very strange uh uh, you know, it's a very strange transition to be, to be, you know, to drive west from St. Louis, Missouri, and then find yourself in Los Angeles and really realize that not only are you a, a very small fish in a very big pond, but that pond is a small part of a larger ocean. And, uh, and you don't really have any kind of survival skills whatsoever. So it was, it was a real tricky, uh, and challenging transition to realize that. You know, okay. This is this is not gonna. This might not happen overnight. Um, did you
0: take acting classes once you got there? I did. I,
2: I enrolled in a class or two, and uh, the and,
0: Kaminsky method.
2: <laughs> not quite, but <laughs> I I did. You know, I was in class with a lot of working actors and a lot of people that I recognized from TV, and uh, and and you know, it was it wasn't inexpensive. So I had two or three jobs. You know, and it was just. It was hustling. It was surviving, you know. And then, and I knew a a little bit about that. That's was kind of my go-to, you know, ethos for a long time. So, uh, fortunately, I had a really. Good group of friends that kind of were all in the same boat,
0: like Paul Rudd. You well, Paul and, right?
2: was in a very different boat, yeah. very nice, nicely appointed luxury liner at that yeah. point. But, uh, but, but Paul was there too, and Paul was pro- You know, was sort of the proof of concept. Like, look, and okay, you all
0: knew each other from St. Louis, or knew because you were both fra- from St. Louis. You connected. Well, Paul's from
2: Kansas City. I'm from St. Louis. So oh, okay, I knew Sorry. Paul because his roommate at the University of Kansas was the older brother of a friend of mine from high school. So okay. he would come back for holidays and weekends, what have you um and uh and yeah so P- paul was sort of like there as the example of like oh well, maybe it could happen you know it doesn't you don't have to be the son of somebody famous or I guess you kind of do now it seems like but uh nepotism wasn't quite what it is uh now back then
0: you had this idea that if i'm if i'm not in it, or if I'm not making it by the time I'm 30, I'm going to pack my bags and figure out something. Yeah,
2: I gave myself five years. And at that point, that would have been, I was 25 when I moved to LA. That would have been a, a you know, sixth of my life, what have you, 20%, 17% of my life. And uh, that's enough time, I thought, to like establish some kind of plan, put it in action, see if it works. And and it was I I turned thirty on the set of my first movie. I was paying my bills, being an actor. I had paid off my student loans. I wasn't working in a restaurant or bartending for the first time in a decade. And uh, and I was like, okay, this this seems to be working, you know. In the first three years that I was in L.A., I I auditioned for tons of things, but it it didn't. uh, Nothing hit.
0: And did you do small roles or nothing. commercials? Nothing. I mean, nothing. nothing.
2: I, I was an extra. I was an extra in the pilot of the practice. You know, I had a featured extra uh, role in Allie McBeal, where I didn't have any lines. I was just the guy at the bar. Nothing substantial and nothing that was able to pay my bills for years. And finally, I got, you know, a part. And I had to talk, and then I got a little more what was and a that? little more.
0: What was your first speaking role? The first role? thing
2: that I had that was, that was of any consequence was a role on a TV show that was on NBC, uh, on Friday nights, called Providence, and it was oh, uh,
0: I remember that of with Maria Canacerada, Maria Yes, <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh, that was the first thing Who? I learned is how to pronounce the star's and, name. And by the Very way, important,
0: beautiful, lovely person,
2: lovely lady.
0: Don't I know you? You remember me? Oh, yeah, you're the bartender. What are you doing yeah. here?
2: Fireman by day, bartender by night. I had a, a one-time guest spot on that that probably paid me more money than I had made the entire year. And they asked me to come back for 13 episodes. Uh, and then they asked me to come back for seven more episodes. And I was like, this is, this is the gift that keeps on giving. This is just great. Uh, and then I got another part and smaller things here and there. And then I got a, 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 a series regular on a Lifetime television show called The Division starring Bonnie Bedelia and Taraji Henson oh. and, and Nancy McKee and Lisa Vidal, Tracy Needham. Uh, Amy Jo Johnson. We had a great cast. No, I do not do group. I buy my own tickets. Come on,
1: but you got 20 times the chance of winning.
2: Remember that woman that bought those tickets last month? Yeah, she was supposed to collect for the whole office and buy the tickets, and then she said she bought one more that was supposedly the one that won all the money? Yeah, I'm not even going there. No. I lotto know. And it just got a little bit easier to push the rock up the hill every day, and so that led to you know more and more opportunities and, and movies and things, and pieces and parts and whatever until I was finally in the running for a show called Mad Men and that was in 2005 that was 10 years after I moved to uh to LA and um it only took 10 years to be an overnight success
0: when we come back John shares the funny story of how he found out that he had landed that gig Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet, finance smarter.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God,
0: Was it hard to secure that part as Don Draper? Were other people considered? Because to me, sitting across from you and just knowing you a bit, I mean, I feel like you were born to play that role. Yeah, you
2: know, there's I've heard rumors of who was being, you know, looked at. uh, Any everyone from Thomas Jane to I don't know who else. uh, But you know, there was no. I had auditioned seven or eight times, I think, you know, that nobody wanted me as I was not a known quantity. I wasn't a name. I wasn't a star. I wasn't a, you know, a TV proven thing, whatever, even though I had worked for the past five years or so consistently. But, you know, sometimes it takes time. And, uh, and I remember I got the part in an elevator in, um, Tribeca at the Gansevoort Hotel. After my final audition, and we had I had drinks with uh, on the roof of the Gansvort with all the executives, and I was kind of like this: no, no one's told me I have this yet. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm I'm being treated like I have it. But I could I'm I'm not I'm, I haven't seen a contract. What's What's happening? And so finally, we're on the on the elevator going down after these this drink session, and and the and the executive turns to me and says. You, you know you got the part right and i said no i didn't thank you for telling me no one explicitly told me this so it was it was uh it was that uh, that was the day and I, and I happened to be riding in the elevator with a a very famous german soccer star named uh franz beckenbauer and the elevator she just told me this i had no idea he was on the elevator or who he was but the doors opened and there were all these people like like waiting and, and cheering and everything i was like wow they really did a number here this is really cool course they're waiting for the <laughs> superstar so football man
0: that's funny and well, i mean i just still love watching mad men it, was it holds such, up such a incredible show incredible cast so stylish and um do you think that mad men could get made today because you know it i don't think it's You know, it's not like a superhero. It's just very... It's a funny
2: thing. I, I don't think Mad Men could have been made five years before it got made, and I don't think it probably could have been made five years after. I think it just happened to come along right at the right time. It didn't look like anything else. It didn't act... The show wasn't about cops or firemen or lawyers or doctors, so it didn't have... Or gangsters or what have you. It was... The stakes in the in the in the world that we were playing w- were not the life and death stakes that most television deals in, right? right. So it wasn't Tony Soprano or Walter White or, or this or or you know ER or, or what have you or NYPD Blue. You know, it just it was it was real life and it was portrayed so, uh, as you say, stylishly and um, and beautifully that I think that's how it. It, the, that's how those stakes were were brought and there, and there were things that people could recognize you know things like your 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 marriage dissolving or your career not going the way you want it to or or every, you, you getting everything you want and what does that mean how does that work or struggling with you know whatever yeah. is going on in your life and they were it, it was and it was played in a, in a real way and not in a corny or schmaltzy way either. So I think it was, I think it came along right at the right time. I, you know, I don't know if it would be, if it, maybe if it was made today, people wouldn't pay attention. I don't know.
0: I don't know. It's just such a iconic show. And I think for me, I liked watching it because of the gender politics in the office as somebody who had to kind of muscle my way into a male dominated industry you know, of course, I love Peggy and Joan, and sure. um, seeing sort of all those dynamics. And I think, you know, it made me really appreciate how far we've come. Yeah. And, you know, so there was there was an element of that 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 was really appealing to me. Um, Do you keep in touch with all those folks? Obviously, you and John are good friends. Yeah. And,
2: you know, we we're, we'll. we'll well, well, there's a text thread that gets uh, hit up every now and again, or you know, if one of us goes through a, a life moment, you know, there'll be a congratulations or what have yeah. you. But but yeah, we're, we're, we're I wouldn't say we're super close, but but we're as close as you you probably imagine. And uh, it was a pleasure to get to have John come on uh, come on our film and and play my former boss. Uh, that which was sort of a nod and a wink, obviously yeah. to to our past. Uh, but it was great to be in a scene with him again you know it he's a wonderful actor and he's a great guy and Elizabeth uh,
0: Moss is kind of on fire Moss is
2: killing it you right? know she's uh she's become a cottage industry and right? she's doing her thing and uh you know it's 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 really great you know it's Christina at a, wedding had with a Christina you know, Christina's had a, a really nice run with with good girls and you know, uh, everybody's kind of doing their thing, and it's I, really, I, Listen,
0: I always see people from Mad Men popping up in different shows, and I'm like, "Wait, there's what's his name exactly, from Mad Men?" Exactly. You know,
2: it's nice. You know, it's 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 nice. We root for each other uh, for sure, and uh, and that's a great. You know, it's a great to have that kind of history. Honestly, it's a, for for better or for worse. It was a, a decade out of our lives, you know, and that we spent kind of constantly together, whether we were either shooting the show or promoting the show or on the award circuit or what have you. So it's, it's, a, it's a really worthwhile thing to have in your life, and it's not something you want to let go that easily.
0: You know, obviously, John, I've interviewed you before and read a lot about you and in and, and preparing for the interview today, I forgot about your mom. And then I remembered um, that you were only 10 when you lost your mom. Mm-hmm. And then I think 20 when you lost your mm-hmm. dad. And, um, you know, it's – lately I've been reading and thinking a lot about generational trauma and how how that term has expanded uh-huh. to not just sort of slavery and the Holocaust, right. which, of course, is the ultimate right. sort of generational trauma, but just the idea of of enduring a significant loss or having something traumatic happen to you as a child and the impact that had on you then and how much – it, it colors your adult relationships.
2: For sure, for sure.
0: And I know that I think it's so cool that you have been really exploring that. It's amazing to me that, that we weren't thinking about that even a few years yeah. ago about the incredible impact your childhood does have on your adult life.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's the foundation, you know, you're, you're a different, literally a different human being. Uh, you're made differently at that age than, than you are as an adult. You're not fully cooked in many ways. And, and, uh, you know, your neural pathways are wide open when you're younger and it's, it's all of these things are still working themselves out. So to have that kind of traumatic experience and, it, and you're right, it doesn't have to be abuse or anything like, yeah, you know, like you said, you know, but, it but, but the other kinds of that are are very real as well, and you know my mom died of essentially of, of colon cancer, right. and, and obviously I know that that's a big uh, part of 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 your uh, existence. It's very much part of mine. I tell everybody in my world that's get a colonoscopy yesterday because it's it's all of that is easily preventable. And your mom
0: must have been really young, pretty thirty five,
2: yeah, thirty five years old, and obviously that wasn't you know wasn't anywhere near time for her to be screened or anything like that. It was just a very much an outlier, you know, like cancer is sometimes it just happens and it's a bummer. Um, But, you know, it's, it's something that, that does, as you say, leave a mark, you know, and it, and it, I think that the reason recently it's been a little more forward in people's minds is because we kind of all had a major trauma over the last couple of years with the pandemic. And we all went through this kind of global weirdness that i think we're all still it's just now you know walking in the city and you're just now kind of like oh everyone kind of feels a little bit back to normal right, but and there's
0: something in the air that still doesn't feel quite normal right
2: i feel like it's 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 it is it's a combination of of the very strange trump era with that that ampl- amplified by the the very strange pandemic, and uh, there's no you know, comparison to either of those things, really. They're both in, incredible outliers, and so I think that that's, everyone's kind of thinking about how all of that is not only affecting them, but affecting their kids, and I've had right. pr- plenty of friends of mine's kids, their, their senior year or their freshman year in college or whatever was remote, and they don't get to see their friends, and they don't have, get to have a graduation, and I'm just like... Gosh, that sucks. You know that just sucks because because of this weird thing that we had no control over. I mean, it's like like an asteroid hit the planet or something. It's just all of a sudden it's we can't go out for a year. Yeah, like that was weird. And you and processing te- that is is a is gonna take a minute.
0: You hope it teaches kids resilience and sort of how to adjust and sacrifice. But you're right. I think it's it was really really difficult and heartbreaking for a lot of kids and a lot of adults too. A lot of adults. And a lot of elderly people yeah. who declined so rapidly because yeah. they didn't have, social have social, social, the social interaction.
2: The social part of our day-to-day existence, having having that completely removed uh, or, or or completely replaced, I should say, with, with some semblance of if you're lucky enough to have a computer or, or Wi-Fi or whatever, right. you could Zoom or you could FaceTime or Things like that. But I, I remember early on in the pandemic calling all of my friends or FaceTiming all my friends like I have talked to you more in the last like six months than I have in the last six years. Because there isn't a it's a replacement for what was just normal life of right. seeing people. Like, no, if they go call my friend, we'll see him, how's he doing? You know, what time is it in Australia? Like, you know.
0: So I think you're right. Maybe that has sort of spurred more interest in how events in one's lives you know have an impact yeah yeah, yeah for sure and and reemerge often in sure. how how you interact with people and i'm just curious john and if you don't feel comfortable talking about it we don't have to but do you do you remember much about your mom and your mom's illness because obviously you know when my husband got sick and died nine months later i mean like I remember almost every detail of that.
2: I remember a lot of it. You know, I remember, I just remember how sudden it was. You know, I remember it being my mom one day and then not my mom one day. You know, just how rapidly the illness spread and, you know. The, the being spending so much time in a hospital at that young age was very strange to me. And I, my only experience with hospitals was old people at that point. not Certainly not my mom, who was 35 years old. That's not old, although when you're nine, that's ancient. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was like the hospitals are for old people. That's what hospitals are for. And so it was a very strange, you know, kind of disconnect and, and jarring. Uh, And then by the end, my mother had, the cancer had really spread throughout her whole abdomen and all of her major organs, and, and, you know, she was a shell of herself. And and there wasn't any support network in the early 80s. Mental health was what they called crazy people. Like, that was, you know, if you needed some mental health work, that meant you were going in the rubber room. Um, And
0: it was just you and your dad. Did it was me and my dad,
2: and my I had two half sisters who both lost their mother very young as well, and you know aunts and uncles and 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 whatnot, I had an extended family. But it was, it, the the vocabulary certainly wasn't there, and people didn't know how to talk about that. I was given a book that said what to do with it when a parent dies, written by some psychologist, I guess, or social worker, which I read, but. You know that's not really <laughs> what you need. You no. need to talk and have people explain and understand and really, you know, and for especially many people at that age, especially in an
0: age-appropriate way.
2: That's a that's your first uh, introduction, in many ways, to permanence. You know, is death, and most people, it's their dog or their grandmother or their grandma right? or what have you, and and to have it be this close and have have it really settle. It was. It, My part that I don't remember so much is the aftermath. Mm -hmm. The next couple years are very foggy for me. And then once I got, once I started at the school that I eventually went back to teach, that got me back into a pattern where I was like, okay, now I'm starting to feel like I'm coming out of that fog.
0: 10 is a tough age, too, a a 10 year old boy.
2: Yeah. Got a lot uh, of energy. You know, you got a lot of. But
0: also, you're very, you know, my my girls were two and six. And, you know, Ellie was obviously aware and her dad walked her to school every day and made her breakfast and did her hair and all that. Not very well, by the way, but you know, (laughs) um, I think, uh, yeah, I think 10, you know, you're kind of in the world. And, and I remember thinking, and those, those are very like that pre-adolescent, adolescent adolescent stage is, is so tender and, and fragile. And Mm -hmm. so that, that must've been tough. Yep. Was your dad, was, did you feel like your, I mean, your dad probably had a hard time dealing with oh, it. As sure. you said, people he didn't also, know how to do. He,
2: he was, his first wife passed away very suddenly as well. So, you know, he was dealing with a lot of stuff that, again, no vocabulary, no infrastructure to help, no mental health checks, no, none and of that really. And it was that, still really.
0: taboo to not only kind talk of. about death, John, but really to talk about cancer.
2: Cancer, depression, feelings, you know, a lot of that was, you know. We're still in the post war. You know, my grandfather fought in World War II, and I remember going through, when I was probably in my late teens or even early 20s, some of his photo albums from back then. You know, handsome guy and the Navy and the, you know, the outfit and the yeah. thing. And I was like, oh man, where were you? I was, oh, we we're in the Philippines. I was like, Philippines went in World War II. And you're like, oh yeah, like that was a brutal part of World War II. Like the Pacific Islands were not. It wasn't uh, suntans and uh, surfing. It was a lot of, like, death and destruction. And he just wouldn't talk about it. He just would say a lot of bad things happened there. And that yeah. was it.
0: Your dad died at tw- when you were 20. Yeah. And so you were sort of an orphan. Not Sort of. You were an orphan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were an orphan when your dad died when you were just 20. Yeah, And uh, that must have left you feeling pretty unmoored, to yeah, say the least. Yeah, for sure.
2: For sure, it was. A, you were in college. It was in college, and it was sort of like I was. I was my my grandmother had passed away about eight months beforehand, and that's where I was living. And so I was sort of moved out of my house while I was in college, and came back, and all my stuff was in my sister's basement. And that's where I lived, and then my dad died. So I was very much. That's when I really leaned on my community. And that was when my my friends' parents. And, they uh, all
0: sort of adopted you, right? Pretty much,
2: yeah. That's when I really realized that, okay, not only do I need help. Uh, my sister was like, "You need to see a professional. You need to talk to somebody, and you need to, you know, somehow get back on your feet." And part of that was getting a job, you know, recommitting to school, and and really kind of understanding in some way what was going on. You know, what was what was not only what was happening now and what had happened, but what, what do you want? What do you want your life to look like? Because st- start working on it. Because it'll go by fast if you don't. And, and that's when I really, that was, you know, in a lot of ways was like, okay, it was a gut check. You know, a lot of people don't get that till way later in life. But mine came then. And it was, and it was time to kind of get back on the horse and really get going.
0: We'll be right back. don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder: Credit is subject to lender approval and terms supply. Nerdwallet: Finance smarter.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: I feel like you have really started in a in a very significant way, delving into the impact of your your mom's death and later your dad's death. And, you know, there's a guy named Terry Reel who I've interviewed who talks about the adaptive child versus the wise adult mm-hmm. and some of the impulses you have that harken back to when you were much younger. And I'm just curious, you know, what are you learning about yourself, John, through your work, through therapy, that is helped you in forging your relationships today? Sure.
2: Part of that is, is you know, when you lose parents at a young age, the, the, the fact, lo- the loss of them is is processed like uh, an abandonment. Uh, a, 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 even though it's obviously it's, it's of no, not their choice, you know, right. it's the choices made by the universe, but uh, your, your adaptive child brain doesn't think of it that way. It feels abandoned. And so you, you you experience this loss, this loss. So it's, a, it's a, almost like a cutout shape, right? And you just don't have it anymore. But you can't quite process why, and that that stays with you. And so, as you say, it it reflects itself in your relationships and your ability to, you know, be in a in a loving relationship or let yourself be vulnerable or let yourself be loved or taken care of or anything. And 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 that's a that's a tough pattern to to break. And it takes it. It really just takes. I'm not going to try to make this sound like it's easy. But it really takes the um, awareness to identify what it is and to identify how you are actually processing that, and then don't. Actually well, you have lean to almost re,
0: you have to kind of rewire. almost rewire your brain, exactly. but also,
2: but you have I to identify imagine, it. You have yeah. to identify it first. You, you know? have to
0: stop yourself in your tracks at time and say, like, why, why, oh, wait. "Why
2: am I? Why am I pushing this away?
0: Or why am I reacting this way? Or why way?
2: am I? Or why am I looking for this other thing? Why? Why?" You know, why, why is a big, when you can come up with, with the reason why, then you can actively or effectively counteract it if it's something that's not healthy. And so that's, yeah, that's been a big part of my kind of unpacking of a lot of all that stuff is understanding that, okay, some of that stuff is a survival mechanism, right? you talk about adaptive children. Well, the kids are very famously can, you know. Find their way through any situation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's always good for them. You know, if you talk to survivors of atrocities or things when they were kids, they you know they they're holding on to that stuff, even though they survived it and they they adapted to their surroundings or abuse or you know whatever. But you have to really understand that that surviving something is not uh, overcoming overcoming it. it and 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 learning from it.
0: Yeah. Well, so you, you, how are you feeling on like the healthy and whole spectrum these days, mentally pretty and emotionally? Good. You know,
2: I'm, 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 for me, the pandemic was actually, you know, I hate to say this. It's always like you say, I had a pretty nice pandemic. Um, but I got to, I, I worked a lot, which was good. Um, you know I, I basically strengthened a relationship uh, with my girlfriend anna throughout that it was sort of like a trial by fire a lot of people's went the other way yeah uh but the but the pandemic was an amplifier i think for for good and bad and for for our case it was it was good and um you know i'm looking forward to the whatever the next phase is you know it's it's i'm i'm, ve- I'm very present in in that and and understanding that you know None of that stuff comes without real awareness and work on it and, and, and paying attention. That's a big part of it. You can get distracted so easily in the business that we're in. There's so many shiny things, right? There's a party to go to and an award show and a this and a that and the next job and the next challenge. And then, and you can get so distracted that it it's helpful to, to center and, and remind yourself that, you know, everything you have is, is really nice and, maybe don't worry about what you don't have
0: amen amen brother so do you think you'll ever have kids I'm just curious I mean I mean is that's when you looked ahead at your life plan was that something that was in the picture or was it i
2: mean it's my life i, I I've never had a life plan you know that's well, you another did. Part of you my, said
0: you said by thirty if this well, isn't true, gonna work true. So. But, I,
2: but but that's a that's a that's an if then I guess um I never really had a a roadmap because I, I never, I don't know, I never, I everything was always so unstable. Right. And now that things have stabilized and I've, I'm comfortable in my career and I'm comfortable in my life. Yeah. You know, I, I would, I would love to have kids. I think it would be great. You know, I'd be a good, I, I just, I just saw George Clooney. Uh, he was on Drew Barrymore right before me and I was like, oh yeah, like he's, he's a good old dad. Like there's good old dads. He would be a good, I'd be a good old dad. Why well, not, why not?
0: I think you'd have a lot of fun because I think you're fun and funny and it would be, you know, there's nothing like kids in terms of, you know, you talk about shiny objects. Boy, they set your priorities <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, and, yeah. And in,
2: in the best way, I think, too. No, you know, taking no, Taking care agree. of something is a is, uh, is, is great, you know, is a great reason to get up in the morning for sure.
0: Are you... Um, Speaking of shiny objects, do you have something you're doing next professionally or
2: I'm on, I'm currently working on oh, the, oh, the morning show. the morning show. show. the wait, yes. wait,
0: wait. We have to we have to talk about that the a yes. second. the morning show the i'm
2: sure is very near and dear to your heart
0: <laughs> I mean so have you shot some episodes We've You're few side you of guess you're an anchor man
2: I'm not actually no? so Strangely enough No, i don't I do not side of the side I the really I play, but, Really? the uh, really of but um
0: can you give us a little hint Come I on, wish John. I could
2: no I don't want to spoil anything but I, I suffice to say I get to I get to work with Jan Aniston and Reese and Billy Crudup and the whole gang over there all of whom are really wonderful actors and it's a real treat to get to to be in scenes with with pros you know and, right. and, and at this point in my career it's like a nice it's nice to be invited to the to play with the A-team and um yeah, we're here in New York City. We're going to shoot some exteriors for the show, and and are you uh,
0: shooting some scenes also in New York? I think or? so.
2: I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think if whatever we do will be outdoors. To, and and, and Julia like is a friend of mine. And Juliana's in it. She's wonderful. She's a longtime friend of mine as well. I love her. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's uh, I'm doing that. Uh, when I wrap that in a cup in a month or so, I'll go up to Canada to do season five of Fargo. Oh, um, so you know. Wait,
0: were you in earlier seasons no, of Fargo? No, I so could because I was like, I don't remember that's you. In kinda, that.
2: That's kind of that's kind of what I look for when I look at TV stuff is sort of things I can get into and get out of. You know, it's one season here, one season here. The the you
0: don't want sort of a repeat the long, of the, the mad, lo- Yeah, mad the long
2: mad. the decade long job is it holds less of a of a thrill for me than it once did. But uh, and then f- hopefully we'll get to make some more Fletches down the line. Uh, there's there's nine nine or ten more books. I'd love to, I'd love to get to the one where he goes to Rio. I hope, I hope we get to do that. That would be be awesome. Um, but there's plenty more stories and it's, they're all really fun and funny and, 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 uh, intriguing and, and they're satisfying, you know, they're, they're, they're whodunits. And and when you, when you tell one of those stories, as I said, they're, they're having a moment right now. So I think people are, are, are finding that the, Mysteries when they're solved are satisfied,
0: and also it's satisfying. just great escapism. And it's yeah.
2: also, and also a little bit of a change from like when you see a story that where the where actions have consequences and things make sense at the end, and then right you that's talk about wish fulfillment. You know, like I just wish that the real world would work like that every now and again, where people would have to actually own up to what they did and mm. pay for it.
0: Uh, I, who could you I, be I can't, talking about, Mister Ham? I
2: can't imagine who I might mm. be thinking of.
0: Well, it's really fun to see you. I'm so glad things are going so well. It's my pleasure. You know, it's I've always al- a pleasure to see always you. Always been a big fan. Thank you for your help with Stand Up to Cancer. Of course. Uh, thank you for spreading the word about colonoscopies of and course. other forms of screening. I did a Cologuard commercial because, you know, colonoscopies are great if, A, You do them, yes, and there there, are some obstacles. There's a day. There's
2: a day. There's a rough day. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's not as bad as it once was. Yeah, and I also say it's much better than being diagnosed with colon cancer. But uh, you know, um, my attitude is the best test is the one that gets done. So for whatever reason, if you can't miss work and you want something uh, to even be. And you know, between colonoscopies, Colgard mm-hmm. is a big option. By the way, this wasn't a commercial, but I just wanted to explain why I was happy to support it's a, what look, they all do. all of that stuff
2: is so is so important, and it, it's so you know. Again, I mean, talk about my mom. You know, in the seventies, it just didn't exist, and the the idea of preventative medicine in any kind of way was like kind of a hippy dippy right thing. I remember my for neighbor ate Coasters. yogurt, and I
0: thought that was super yeah, weird. Yeah,
2: give me a break, hippy, right? right? <laughs> And, and really, you know, health food was kind right? of a, a punchline. It was like, what? Health food. Who wants to be healthy? <laughs> right. It's, you know, and in the Midwest, it was, it was kind of amplified. Oh, I'm so, sure, so, right? So, you know, what it, do they
0: have? Those Drews? Uh, Ted, what, Drews Ted, Ted Drews. Ted Drews. Oh. I had a Ted Drews. Oh. He turned it upside down. It doesn't come out. What Concrete. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for they sure. Are they, they are good. They are good.
0: And probably not very good for you, though, John. Listen. But every Everything once in, a in while. moderation.
2: Everything yeah. in moderation. They are delicious.
0: But it's not only, you know, not only our understanding of prevention, but just some of the things they have. Uh, in terms of diagnostic tools yes. and treatments. I mean, cancer care well, I, my, has come, come a long way. I come from a family of,
2: my dad had diabetes when he was 30 years old. My grandmother had diabetes. Like, my my mom's side of the family has cancer all over it. I just, why not? If, if you're going to find it, find it early. It's better yeah, than finding it late.
0: That's for and sure. And
2: diabetes is the same thing, you know. It's, it's one of those things that you, there's markers and there's things that they know are precursors. And if you just pay attention to them. Part of that is what I was saying too, you know, if you just pay attention to what your life is telling you, yeah, you can actually, it's a lot less stressful.
0: It's true. It's true. Uh, what is a, an ounce of prevention? An ounce of prevention is
2: worth the pound of cure is, and that's so true.
0: Yeah. Well, Sean, thank you for doing this. What a and pleasure! It's nice because it doesn't sound like you're tired of talking about this stuff, which is really nice. No, because you've been you've well, been running I will around say, town. I,
2: you know, it's it's always a pleasure to see you. It's a, you put a smile on my face every time I see you. But it's nice to have a conversation with you know with regular people. Yeah. So.
0: Good. All right. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Confess, Fletch is out now, and if you want to know where to watch it, do what I do: Google it. next question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hanson. Associate producers, Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.